Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Republican leader has called the Senate back into session despite the risks we face by gathering here in the Capitol, despite the risks faced by security guards, cafeteria workers, janitors, and the staff who operate the floor of the Senate. The Senate is back in session this week, despite health concerns from many members. Hey, everyone, I'm Dana Bash, CNN's chief political correspondent in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily D.C. Both sides of the aisle are digging in on the fight over the next round of coronavirus funding. But with the talks on a phase four coronavirus stimulus stalled, the focus of the Senate's return to work has been on confirmation and oversight hearings, including what could be a blockbuster hearing next week with Dr. Anthony Fauci on the virus response. So joining me now is the man who will chair that hearing in the Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, Tennessee Republican Senator Lamar Alexander. Senator, thank you so much for joining me. It's nice to see you in your Senate office. Nice to see you, Dana. Thank you. So I want to talk about that upcoming hearing uh, in a minute. But first, can you just set the scene for us, for our listeners, um, on what it is like as a senator to be back in the Capitol this week? Well, it's strange, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad to be back because I was working so hard at home. We were, I was there for five weeks and I'd get up in the morning and be on the phone all day for, for, for 10 days. I think we should be back. We've got important work to do. I mean, today we're having a hearing with Dr. Francis Collins on a way to create tens of millions of new diagnostic tests. That was a part of the bill we passed last week. Uh, We put a billion and a half dollars in to do that. We need to have a hearing about it. We've got a hearing, as you just mentioned, next week with Dr. Fauci, Dr. Redfield, Dr. Hahn, all the principal people. And there's no substitute, really, for us being together as much as possible to work on what we need to work on. Plus, a lot of other people in the country are having to go to work, and we might as well go to work, too. Yeah. So what's it like, for example, you have we're, we're speaking now Thursday morning, you have this hearing coming up. What's the difference in how it actually functions in the age of social distancing? Well, in the halls, we wear our masks. I'm not wearing one right now, but all the senators are wearing masks. Staff members, we're following the attending physician's rules. We'll meet in a large conference room where we'll be six feet apart. The press will be limited. Uh, It's a pool press, so there'll be press there, but they'll report to the rest of the media members. There won't be public in the room, but there will be, um, it will be live on our website and maybe on C-SPAN. So uh, about half the senators will be there in person. About half will be uh, attending by by video. We're getting used to that, just like we're getting used to this kind of conversation with you. Yeah, that's right. And 
people obviously can't see. We're uh, talking virtually so I can see you, but obviously we're not together. So you have been calling for expanded testing for members of Congress. And there were reports you said you were wearing a mask, but that several members were not wearing masks, nor were some Capitol Police officers. Do you feel safe in the Capitol? Oh, I think it's I think it's safe. Uh, most everyone I see is wearing a mask. Maybe maybe some were not. I know that senators, even when we see each other, we stay six feet apart. We're, we're, we're practicing, by and large, the protocols. What I said was that I thought we ought to accept President Trump's offer to test members of Congress who are here before they go home for the weekend. Not so much to protect the members of Congress, but to protect the people they might infect. Uh, if you think about it, if you, particularly when you bring the House of Representatives back, uh, we'll create a virus spreading machine of 535 people as we come here to a coronavirus coronavirus hotspot, which Washington, D.C. is, and then we go back home. And I think some members were afraid that, well, that would look like preferential treatment for senators. Well, one, we're, we're about to do two million tests a week. Um, you are a very spry and young 79 years old, but you are 79 <laughs> years old. That's right. You're in the danger zone when it comes to people who could get infected more easily. And the virus could really do more damage, perhaps, than people who are younger. How does that make you feel? Well, the only one in our family who's had the virus is my daughter, who's 45. Oh, wow. I mean, she lives in Westchester County, New York. She had it. Her husband had it. Her kids got sick, too. They're over it now. Uh, but it was pretty, you know, it was, it's a pretty serious disease when you have it. So uh, it doesn't just affect older older people. How's your family now? How are They're they fine. feeling? Thank you for asking. In fact, she's given, uh, she's taken an antibody test, which is the test you take afterwards uh, to see if you have some kind of immunity and she's wants to give plasma or wants to give blood to create plasma which can be a treatment perhaps for those who have it so that's what she's thinking about doing my point is you can get this if you're 45 years old as well as if you're 79 so uh, it does affect older people of course it's a new virus and we don't know everything about it yet it's it's the most contagious virus any of the experts have ever run into and the other thing is, of course, it's silent. There are lots of people walking around with it. We really don't know how many uh, who don't have any symptoms. Before we move on, do you think that's going to happen? Will you all get tests before I think leave? I think it will. I think attitudes will change very quickly, especially when the House of Representatives come back. People will understand it. And, and if we're, we're rapidly increasing the number of testing. During the month of May, our country is going from giving about a million tests a week to about two million tests a week. So surely there are 535 tests mm-hmm. to keep members of Congress from infecting their constituents. So I just want to ask you about something that just crossed the transom, as we used to say, and that is the Trump administration is saying that it will not implement the CDC 17-page draft recommendations for reopening America. This was originally an Associated Press report. CNN is now confirming. And this document was created to give guidance on reopening public spaces like mass transit, daycare centers, restaurants. The White House doesn't want it released. Do you want it released as chair of the Help Committee? Well, I don't know why it shouldn't be released. I don't know anything about it, to tell you the truth. Uh, I'll check into that, but generally I favor, uh, if there's some good reason for it, I'd like to know what it is. Otherwise, it ought to be released. 
Yeah, I mean, the CDC is there for a reason, right? To give this kind of guidance to Americans. Yes, but there, there may be some reason for it. Generally speaking, if CDC has protocols and guidance, they ought to be public. Otherwise, they shouldn't have them. Okay. You mentioned uh, that Dr. Burks has said that the U.S. will have about two to two and a half million tests a week uh, by mid-June. You're proposing kind of a shark tank-like competition to drive the U.S. testing capacity even higher. How many tests need to be available? What would be a rate that would be satisfactory to you to keep up with the pace of the reopening across America that we're seeing now? Well, we can we can begin to reopen where we are, but in order to in order to do two things, contain the disease and have confidence to go back to work and school, we need tens of millions of more tests. And the current technology we have just can't produce that many. So we, what we've created at the National Institutes of Health, and this is really pretty exciting because it's headed up by Dr. Francis Collins, who, who is the director of the NIH and who help map who led the effort to map the human genome they're going to invite all the brain power in america to submit plans for a crash program to create simple diagnostic tests that with quick results and that we can produce enough of them so that in august or shortly thereafter hopefully you can test an entire class if you're worried about school or you can test a factory or everybody in an operating room can be tested um or, or every nursing home or every prison, uh, sometimes more than once. So we don't have an exact number for that, but that's tens of millions of tests. The, the number we're doing today is very impressive. I mean, the United States, according to Johns Hopkins and President Trump, has tested more than 7 million people, many more than other countries. But we need tens of millions more to contain the disease. And by that, I mean... What we want to do is identify the people who are sick, identify who they've exposed and quarantine them so you don't have to quarantine all the rest of us. Yeah. That's what we need to do. And we don't have enough tests to do that. Let's talk about one of the Congress's main functions besides oversight, which you are have a big part of, and that is funding. Do you think that Congress will pass a phase four stimulus bill that includes funding for state and local governments. I know there's a big debate within your Republican conference about how much money to give to state and local governments. Where do you stand on that? Well, first, we ought to take the $150 billion we've already given to states and cities and give the states and cities more flexibility in the spending of that. The Treasury Department began to do that this week, but it's really up to Congress to decide that, not the Treasury Department. So that's the first thing we could do. I mean, Tennessee, for example, got $2.5 billion in addition to money for education and for other things. So that's a lot of money. We ought to start with that. And then we ought to see what else needs to be done. Well, I mean, you probably know this. The Speaker of the House in your home state of Tennessee said the state could be looking at a billion-dollar budget shortfall. So if that's the case, they're going to need more help, right? That is a shortfall, but the state of Tennessee is very conservative, and we have a big rainy day fund put aside for events such as this one. So, And the state, if it has to, can cut expenses and raise taxes if it needs to do that just as easily as the federal government can do it. Did you just say raise taxes? Well, that's, you, there are only two ways to have enough money. One is to reduce expenses, uh, expenses and raise taxes. The mayor of Nashville mm -hmm. has said that Nashville may have to have a 32% property tax increase. Now, this is a very conservative mayor, but he's 
by conservative, he means he's got to balance his budget. So there are two ways to do it, and they can do that. $150 billion is a lot of money for a federal government, which is in so much debt to give to states. We ought to see how far that goes before we talk about more. Got it. Okay, let's talk about the big hearing you're going to chair next week uh, with Dr. Fauci. What are you going to press Dr. Fauci on? What's the most important thing to hear from him? Well, today uh, in our hearing with Dr. Collins, we're talking about uh, testing, but I'll talk with Dr. Fauci about that as well because he works for Dr. Collins at the National Institutes of Health. I'll talk to Dr. Fauci about what we can do to speed up the three things that will end this crisis. One is diagnostic testing, whether you have it or not. Two is treatments. There's no medicine for this disease, although one was just approved by the FDA. There's now one. And three, vaccine. Uh, It's very promising news about treatments. We should have more than one this summer. And the administration's goal on vaccines is to have 100 million by September and 300 million by December. Now, that's a very aggressive goal, and we've never done anything that rapidly before. But I'll ask Dr. Fauci, Uh, what he thinks about that goal and why he thinks we might be able to do that. As you know, the White House is not allowing Dr. Fauci to testify before the House, which is run by Democrats. The suggestion being that you're going to go easy on him. Are you going to go easy on him? (laughs) People know me better than that. It's up to the administration. Look, I will ask the questions I need to ask. But remember, about half of our members are Democrats. And uh, they get to ask questions, too. So I would not say a committee that includes uh, Patty Murray, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders is a committee that's going to go easy. One more question on this. I want to play you something that President Trump said on Tuesday when asked about Dr. Fauci and the House. The House is a setup. The House is a bunch of Trump haters. Uh, They put every Trump hater on the committee, the same old stuff. Uh, They frankly want our situation to be unsuccessful, which means death, which means death. And our situation is going to be very successful. What's your response to that? First of all, the death part of it, but also are those criteria a president should be using when it comes to Congress's function of oversight? Well, number one, um, President Trump and the House don't have a very good relationship and I'll let them have their own. We in the Senate have a good relationship with with the White House. We have a hearing today with Dr. Collins on testing. We have a hearing on Tuesday with all the four top principles, I would say, on, on the coronavirus. Democrats and Republicans will have an opportunity to ask their questions and get their answers from people that they respect and work with regularly. So um, I have my hands full taking care of the Senate. I'm not gonna try to take care of the president's relationship with the House. Well done. You've been in this business a few years. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Chairman, I do want to ask in all seriousness about given the fact that you chair such an important committee, the HELP Committee, starting with the H, Health. I know you're going to have a lot of time to look back, but but now as you think about where we are, is there anything that you think you could have done as a committee differently to ramp up, to, to force the country to ramp up and to be more ready for this virus earlier? 
I've thought about that a lot. Uh, in fact, I, I, I read a remarkable speech by Bill Frist, who was the majority leader of the Senate, a Tennessee senator. He made it in 2005 when he was majority leader, and he nailed the situation. He said, look, pandemics are coming. This is what's going to happen. This is what we need to do. And I look back and I saw what President Bush, President Obama, President Trump, seven Congresses have done. They've passed a number of laws. We've had record funding for the National Institutes of Health. We've created a stockpile. We've done all these things to get prepared prepared. Um, and most people said, I mean, the New York Times said in March the 1st on its front page that most experts agree we were as well prepared as any country for this epidemic, but, you know, we're not as prepared as we should have been. And so I'm trying to think of what else do we need to do to be prepared for the fall when it's coming back or for the next virus, which is surely coming. And we need to do it this year while the iron's hot, while this is on our mind, because we have a, such a short collective memory. It doesn't seem possible, but we'll get into next year. The vaccine will come. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be thinking about something else. So I want to make sure that this year, in answer to your question, we do those things we need to do. The president talked about getting rid of the task force or winding down the task force this week, then reversed course, saying it will continue indefinitely. Why do you think that changed? Well, I... Th- you know, I think it's probably a good idea to get rid of the task force. I mean, the task force, if you think about it, it, it means that you've got all the principal people in the government who uh, have jobs to do. I mean, Dr. Fauci has a job <laughs> of infectious diseases, and the head of the FDA uh, should be in charge of approving new test treatments and vaccines. So to the extent they're spending an hour or two a day in a task force meeting or in a briefing, that's time taken away from the job. And the president, the vice president really, ought to go back to being president and vice president, not being the daily reporters of the medical news. I think back to to, uh, the Iraq war when H.W. Bush was there. He had a briefing every afternoon, and you probably saw some of them or attended them. I think General Schwarzkopf and the people from the Defense Department did the briefing. We got to know the generals pretty, pretty well, but we didn't see President Bush or the vice president out there doing the briefing. So I think it's probably a good idea to let the people in charge of the agencies go back to running the agencies, let the president and the vice president resume their roles and and let the task force meet on call or as it needs to. And you don't think, so I've heard from some medical professionals that that will send a signal to the country that the crisis is over. You're not worried about that? No, I don't worry. In fact, fact is it would send a signal to me that they're, they're doubling down doing their jobs instead of being in meetings all day. I mean, you, you can't spend two or three hours in meetings all day and still approve the next vaccine. I mean, I'd like to see, I'd like to see these principles on their jobs uh, pick one or two of them to go out on a regular basis, maybe every day at five o'clock. That's fine. And brief the country about what's going on. But I don't think you need a whole group of people together. And I don't think they have to meet every day either. I don't think that's a particularly efficient way of going about business. They could get on the phone for 20 minutes a day if they need to touch base or they could meet on call. OK, last question. You are retiring at the end of the year. The fact that this virus is is in, in this unbelievable pandemic is happening as you are thinking about leaving. Does that make you happy that you're on your way out or does it make you think, oh, maybe I want to stay? No, it does. You know what? What the reason I'm here is to get things done. You know, I get up every day. This sounds so naive. People think I'm making it up, but I, I think I may do something today to try to help the country and go to bed at night thinking I have. Like today, I'm going to be working with a guy that 
created, uh, mapped the human genome, Dr. Francis Collins, to see if we can have sort of a mini Manhattan project that will create tens of millions of tests so that we can go back to school in August or at least deal with the flu season when it comes in the fall. Now, that's very satisfying to me. So I will miss that when I when I leave. And uh, 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 the virus just reminds me that whatever your plans are, you don't know what might happen because I had not expected this to be the last big thing I might work on. I mean, just think about it. Two months ago, we were impeaching the president of the United States, and now that seems like ancient Roman history. By the end of this year, we may have something else that commands our attention, and that's sort of the excitement of being in the United States Senate. And this is why I've enjoyed covering you for so many years. I don't think it's naive. I think it's terrific. Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it. I know you've got a busy day ahead. Stay safe. Stay well. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you, Dana. And special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about the podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.